Hi, everyone. This is Javier, your host here at the Restore Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about the Restore Podcast topics, guests, your favorite episodes, or whatever you may want to let us know. And I am so happy to announce that now you can do that simply by texting us by going to the show notes. There, you will see a link that simply says, send us a text message. Click on it. Don't remove the number there that you will see and simply send us a text. Simple as that. So don't wait. Go to any episode show notes and text us now. Let us know your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. God bless. Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Restore podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast that we hope and pray will be a, an incredible blessing to you. On today's podcast, we are focusing on church planting, and I'm excited for you guys to listen uh, to what we have recorded. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, just a little bit of a background, the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in North America has taken an initiative called Plant 1000, and the goal is to plant 200 churches a year uh, in the next five years, beginning uh, this year, of course, 2016. Part of that ultimate goal is that these church plants will uh, reach people groups that are not being reached. Here in our region of Florida, uh, we have been all about church planting for some time. And in this podcast, I speak with four pastors that are currently leading church plants um, and or are currently planting a church. So they are experienced uh, church planters. Um, I really hope that anyone who is thinking of church planting uh, should really listen to this podcast. Uh, by that, I'm not saying that uh, all of their questions will be answered in this uh, podcast, but it certainly um, is a place, is a starting point. The four pastors that I'm going to be speaking to um, are Pastor Anthony Wagner Smith. He pastors the Lifespring Adventist Church in Wesley Chapel, Florida, and he is our church planting coordinator in the Tampa region. Pastor Kendall Trusios, who's our uh, church planting coordinator in Miami area, South Florida. He pastors at Ignite Fellowship. Uh, pastor Tim Jumley, he is the associate pastor at the Mandarin Seventh-day Adventist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, and he is our church planting coordinator in that region. Uh, last but not least, we We'll also have uh, Pastor Harold Altamirano, and he's the pastor of Life Fellowship Adventist Church in Coral Springs. An important uh, recording note, uh, Pastor Harold came in a little bit later on the podcast um, as he uh, had an appointment that he was um, doing. Um, and then Pastor Kendall um, had to leave a little bit before we finished because he had an appointment that he had to go to. So we just want to make you aware of that. Uh, you will notice that in the podcast, it doesn't take away from anything of the content. Uh, but with that said, uh, I hope that you are blessed. And uh, here it goes. I'm so excited for this episode as we focus on church planting. And I have uh, three guys that are actually in the midst of the battle. So I want to welcome you guys to the Restore podcast. Thank you. So why don't we... Absolutely. Why don't we go down the line here, and um, if you guys could introduce yourselves, uh, let us know where you're, um, you know, pastoring at and uh, the city you're in, and uh, and then we'll get going from there. So I'll go first. I'm Kendall Tercios. I have the pleasure of being the lead pastor of Ignite Fellowship, SDA company. 
right now in Miami. And I am also responsible for church planting in Dade County for churches that are geared to reach secular, post-Christian, post-modern people. Welcome, Kendall. Thank you for being with us. I'm Timothy Gemley, uh, and I am uh, church planting coordinator for Duval County, and um, we're currently working on a, a new church in the uh, the Beaches area of Jacksonville. Um, and I'm also the associate pastor at the Mandarin Seventh Day Adventist Church. Thank you, Tim. Welcome. I'm Anthony Wagner Smith, and um, church planter in Tampa, working in Tampa Bay to help facilitate church planting. I pastor at Life Spring Adventist Church, and we also planted in Sarasota County uh, Compass Communities Church previous to that. Awesome. Thank you, Anthony. So in our community of faith, I'm just going to jump right into it. In our community of faith in this last year, we're really focusing on church planting. Obviously, that doesn't mean that we haven't focused on that before. Um, other faith you know, communities also in the last several years, uh, some may argue, are heavily focusing on church planting. So uh, let me begin with this question. It, it, some may find it very fundamental, but I think it's a good place to start. Uh, why church plant? So this is Kendall. I'll go ahead and, and just offer up a, a reason and a motivation uh, for church planting. Uh, one of the things that is at the heart of, of the mission of Jesus Christ and us as his church needing to be faithful to it is, is reaching out. And over the years, one of the things that, that has been one of the most effective ways of reaching lost people has been to open new churches. I remember back in 2006, I believe I traveled to, uh, to Nairobi, Kenya with a team and you know, ministry in the developing world is much different than ministry in the developed world here in North America, Florida, Miami, urban areas. You know, we, we, we don't experience the same things. But one of the things that impacted me about this particular trip to the African continent was the following. I, I met so many different pastors and they continually shared with me their responsibilities. They said, um, I pastor six congregations and then they would use the phrase, uh, seven or eight Sabbath schools and another guy, I'd meet another guy and he'd say, yeah, I have 10 churches and I have 12 Sabbath schools. And I kept thinking, what is he talk? What are they talking about? What they were referring to as a Sabbath school, which is the equivalent of, you know, a Bible study, Sunday school, you know, Sabbath school referred to church plants. Hmm. And I was just so impressed impacted by the fact that not only they had all of these churches, but that they had all of these church plants. <laughs> and there is a significant amount of growth in the developing world uh, without settled pastors over churches. As we step into the mission of Christ, church planting um, has, has been shown to be tremendous, a tremendous strategy for revitalizing people, um, moving them out of spectators and into active ministers, actively outreaching. Um, church planting is, I think, I think it is only for the hardcore. Church planting is only for the brave, those people that, that really are done with playing church. And it is incredibly effective at reaching the lost, and that's what we want to do. 
So, Kendall, what you're saying is and in, in, in looking at that model of in, you know, Nairobi of what they're doing is that it's in one of the fundamental reasons to church plant is to essentially reach people for Jesus that are not being reached now. Can, is that a good summary? I, yes, I, I think that's correct, Javier. Um, there's there's been you know significant research done. There's been a lot of a lot of empirical data that's been put together that shows that proportionately proportionately uh, church plants grow at a much quicker pace than established churches. And so I think we need both. I don't think we need either or. I'm a both and kind of guy. And mm-hmm. so, um, but it certainly crystallizes the mission. It, uh, it it cuts away some of the fluff that unfortunately some of, you know, institutionalized churches and churches that kind of been stuck in a rut, they've been around for a long time, um, sometimes, not all the time. Um, it, it revitalizes people and it crystallizes in their mind what they need to be about in reaching, you know, lost people for Christ, their friends, their family. And it's a tremendous vehicle. Okay. Tim, Anthony, what do you guys, what do you guys think? Um, well, I, I think there's, there's really three primary motives why you should plant a church. Okay. Um, and one of them is, is the one Kendall already kind of, kind of touched on, which is, is the effectiveness of it. Um, it really is a more effective way of reaching people. Uh, just new churches by just <laughs> by, by their, the way they are have to, they're forced to, to be more evangelistic and more outward focused. And so they become more effective at it. Um, but the other two reasons are that sometimes we need new expressions of the church to reach people who are of, of different cultures um, and, and that will never be feel at home, never never be reached by the existing church. And so we need to have just a new expression of the church to reach those kinds of people. And then thirdly, I think that um, church planting is is the natural result, really, of, of doing the Great Commission. Hmm. Um, because we are the church, when we do what God tells us to do when we go, we go into a new culture, we actually are planting ourselves in that culture. That is church planting. When we go into a new culture, the church is being planted. When we just go and we make disciples, the church actually is a result of that. The church is what Jesus promised he would build. And so the church results when we, when we as followers of Jesus, fulfill his commission to go into a new culture, to enter in, to be incarnational. And so I think that that's really something that all of us can get behind. Every believer should be uh, should be thinking about how they put themselves out there where, where God wants them to go. That's great, Tim. Um, I'd, I'd like for you, if you can, um, ex- expand for for us and for those that may be listening or or will be listening, I should say, um, the last two, the 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 new expressions. What if you could open that up a little bit more? Um, and also number three, the natural result, just just for you know clarity's sake. Okay. Well, new expressions of the church, for instance, there are people who maybe they they think if they walk into a church building, okay. it's going to burn and fall on top of them. So they might need a church that, that meets in a house. Okay. Right. They might need a place that, that doesn't have that that kind of that that, that thing in their their head that that's that's the, that's this place that I have a wall against. Or maybe they just need one in a different language. Right, that'd be a new expression of the church, or maybe they need one that just worships in a different style that, that speaks to them. So there's different reasons why you would have need a different expression of the church to reach different cultures and different people. Okay. Um, and then the, the the third one, I just think that as we 
really look at what Jesus did. He sent people. It wasn't a come. What we what we really look at and, and think about as, as as the church model mostly is come to us, come to us. But Jesus, that wasn't what Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples. And he said that he would build his church. And so as we really change our mindset and begin to think, how can I go to where people are and just make disciples where they're at? Not even trying to get them to come to us, but making disciples where they are, building God's kingdom. He's promised that he will build his church. And so in that sense, knowing that I am the church, wherever I go, there the church is. I'm planting myself wherever I go. Wherever I make disciples, I'm planting a church. Right, and, yeah. and in that sense, that's every believer really is called to that and helping people understand that it is motivation for an organizing new expressions of the church around that. But. So what you're saying, uh, Tim, is that as, as we go forward in, with the great commission that Jesus has given us, that that should naturally result, um, as in the early church, to create new expressions of church within the essence of whatever that community looks like. Instead of calling, instead of waiting for people to come into our churches, uh, some may argue, and and then having them look like whatever that community is at that time, is that is that fair to say? Exactly. In fact, I think the fact that we have to have a conversation about church planting at all is actually so that kind of a failure on our part to do what God's called us to do and to really be going because churches should naturally be springing up. Um, because of our going and, 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 and incarnating ourselves into new contexts. And if we were really doing that, we wouldn't have to have a conversation about church planning because it would just be happening. That's right. That's right. Anthony, what are your thoughts on why church planning? Um, Javier, I really appreciate what Tim said about the idea of ecclesiology or church coming out of discipleship. It's something that many people have worked through and, and developed. <clears throat> and I think it's important when you talk about church planting just to recognize that Nowhere did Jesus ever say to go plant churches. That's not the commission. That's not the mission. The mission is to make disciples, but disciples are made in reflection to who God is. He's a Trinitarian God, and the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in salvation. And so if you look at the example of Jesus, he always sent people out to make disciples in community. He has the uh, you know two by two, the 12, the 70, through and through. And then when you look in the, in the book of Acts, that same approach is just multiplied. And so it's really important that our goal is not to plant churches, it's to make disciples. But if you're doing that, you're going to organize new groups of believers because the making of disciples is meant to go to, the, to all people groups. And I think just the other quick uh, second thing really quick I wanted to share yeah. um, is we were talking about expressions of church. You know, we have to look at the question, why is it so difficult to have new expressions? And I think one of the reasons is because we view the mission geographically, and Jesus made it clear that it's about people, groups, and culture. So if you look through the history of the church, you come to the time of what's often called Christendom, where the church and state are equated as the same, and we have church based upon the parsonage or the... Um, um, uh, you know, the, the parsonage model where you have a geography, you have a religious leader, and everyone in that geography is Christian. And so here in America, we still struggle with that. And people even in the Seventh-day Adventist church will say, why plant a new church if we have one three miles down the road? But the reality is there's probably 10 to 12 people groups not even being reached by that existing church. So we have to think people, not geography, and to think about discipleship, not just opening up a building or having a worship service, I think is key to the reason why. Okay. 
Just let me let me uh, kind of piggyback off of uh, some of the things that you were saying there, which is pretty you know profound in um, the essence of expression. So even though you explain it, but kind of you know some people relate geography to people group, right? Um, for example, I grew up in certain areas of Los Angeles that the geography was mainly uh, dominant in one um, one you know one aspect you know of the Hispanic race. Um, if you went to another part of the geography of the city, it would be mainly African-American. If you went to another part of the city, it may be mainly, you know, another class. And so um, it, it's isn't that to some degree, some may argue, well, geography can be the same as people groups in certain areas, not not everywhere. And um, in the world that we live in today, which is very multiracial, multicultural in particularly the cities, you know, is that is that an argument that some people have, you know, made where, where they're saying geography is is in some cases and in some areas the same as people groups because they're mainly, uh, for example, Miami, where Kendall's at, you know, it's a heavily Hispanic populated area. That's not a secret. Everybody knows that. So they attribute geography of that area to Hispanic or second, third generation Hispanics of different cultures. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, oftentimes people might equate um geography with just ethnicity, but I'm talking about the difference between geography and culture. Okay. So, for example, the first church where we planted, there was a few other Adventist churches within five to seven miles, and it was mostly a Caucasian community, but most of those churches were were composed of upper-middle-class families Mm -hmm. where there's another culture of people that are on a lower socioeconomic scale that might look the same skin color but are totally different. Where we're now, we're really focusing on unchurched young families, which is a group that's not being reached, and it is more multicultural area. So every city is different. But really, we're talking about how to assess culture as a reason why to start a church plant, not just the skin color, as we might think of it. Right, right. Okay, good. That's. I wanted to get that, you know, clarification for those that may be listening, because even within some of the big cities, like let's say Miami. They may be all Hispanics, but they're in a different area of their lives or different sub, you know, subculture because of where they're at. So thank you for that. Um, we, as we're recording, we, we have somebody that came in. He came in late. I'm going to call him out right in the middle of this podcast, but we're, we're glad to have him. So I want to welcome Harold um, Altamirano to the podcast. Um, Harold, welcome. And um, we are recording live right now. This will be on the podcast. But nonetheless, we want to welcome you and uh, tell us where are you ministering at in the city? Um, And the question that we're pondering right now is why church plant? So uh, let's just go, you know, get you right into the groove here. Having some some audio. Well, while Harold fixes the audio there, uh, we're going to we're going to continue. We're going to continue on. So we've been discussing why church plant, but uh, as we as we dig into the aspect of church planting, one question that often arises um, sooner or later uh, is what are what are some of the church planting models? And some may ponder, well, which one is best? Right. If if anybody goes online and, and you know, Google's church planting models, they're going to get a host of different information, good information and perhaps not so good information. And so as we move forward, making disciples, as we move forward, uh, that that will naturally create certain churches in certain areas. Um, You know, what are some of the church planting models that you guys have uh, perhaps, you know, done or, you know, recommend? Whoever wants to jump in. 
Um, I'll I'll jump in here. I I want to say that yes, if you if you do go online, you're gonna find a many many different models. Um, simple church, cell church, you know, um, a group that goes from one church hives off of the mother church. Um, I I would tell you that there's many different models that have been tried, and I think that possibly all of them can be successful to varying degrees. What I what I would say is, in my experience. Um, I have had the majority of the church plants that I have that I have been a part of have been of a church plant that comes from a mother church that receives the financial support, spiritual support, and emotional support of the mother church for the church plant. And so I can pretty much speak from my own experience in that there are uh, benefits to that as there are limitations and liabilities for that. Every single one of these models, I believe, has a pro, has pros and cons. And so um, one of the things that planting from a mother church could provide, and I emphasize it could provide because it doesn't guarantee it, is that you could possibly plant from strength. There's some studies that have been done that show that if a church plant is launched with less than 75 people after 10 years, it does not cross the 100 barrier. Okay, so, let me, so let, it, me, it, let me get that again. I'm sorry, just because I think that's an important aspect there that um, we, we may want to ponder. So you're saying that if a church, according to some studies, if a church plant doesn't start yeah. with at least 75 people, you said, it, yeah. most, it probably won't get to 100 Within 10 years? Within 10 years. Now, obviously, that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that it can't. It's just much more difficult to achieve that, that critical mass. And so, um, one of the things that, that, um, that this model provides is from the get go, financial stability. Financial stability is very important. Uh, I happen to be in Miami, it happens to be an urban area. Everything's expensive. I mean, we, you know, we've seen rents um, in, in, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars a month just for the use of the facility, you know, for a couple of hours during the week. Um, I remember looking into as we were plan uh, looking to move locations because we had outgrown the, the, the actual existing facility and looking at office buildings um, because, you know, we just need more space, 10 to 15 thousand dollars a month so we have to think about financial viability also when we plant now um, particularly in the urban context the idea of planting a church with the acreage with the oak trees with the steeple that's going away it's not financially viable to do that so if you were to try to get five acres in Miami make a nice little church with the park and the swing set. <laughs> that's not really, that's not really the, the act, the, the reality of this. So um, there are significant financial challenges that could be addressed by planting with a significant core group. It's not the only way to do it. You can be successful in other ways, but it's certainly something to consider. Okay. So you're saying one of the models that you've had is to obviously have what it's, typically, or at least in our community of faith, called the Mother Church, right? A church that will help financially um, the group, a group, as they go out. 
Um, and particularly, mass, yeah. it becomes helpful um, in urban areas where it's quite expensive to to uh, be able to, you know, launch in certain areas as you try to find a place where that actual community can come together. Um, so what other what other models are we looking at here, guys? This is a uh, uh, Timothy here, and um, yeah, if you look, there are probably hundreds of different models out there, but you really can organize them into five categories. They all kind of seem to fit in, in, into one of these kind of five categories, and, and there's strengths and weaknesses to all of them, and you kind of have to, I think, let the spirit kind of show you which way he's leading for your context. Um, I do think I do have a favorite, and I'll, I'll get to that. But uh, first, the first category is traditional, which is basically you get four families together and you start a you start a worship service as soon as you can. You add a Sabbath school to it, and you just start adding programs and trying to continue to to, to gather people. Um, you know, and the strength of that is that it's, it's just easy, um, and and you can start right away. But the weakness is what Ken was talking about. Oftentimes, you don't get past that that hundred that hundred people because it becomes this this family church. People just want to stay it. At that level, kind of. Um, the, the second one is the launch large strategy, which um, I would put what Kendall was just talking about, kind of in in that context. Nelson Searcy, um, probably with his book Launch, is the one who uh, is the biggest put, pro, promoter of this. Uh, I've, I've actually been coached by him, and he would say you would you would gather a launch team of thirty to sixty people, and you would you would do monthly services, you. Get a whole bunch of money. You advertise a lot, so you want to start your first service when you actually go weekly with over 200 people in it. Hmm. Um, and so the, the strength of that is you you do you know you get a lot of momentum. But what the weakness is, what you start with is what you win people to. So you you want people to a program. You want people to this you know high level of um, you, you kind of you kind of creating from the it, from the get go a consumeristic uh, church that you then have to work discipleship back into. Um, the third uh, kind of category are missional incarnational churches, uh, our church plants, and Hugh Halter would be somebody who is a big uh, promoter of this. Um, also, uh, Caesar Kalinowski and Mike Breen are, are doing um, some things, some things that are in, in this area. Um, what missional incarnational really is, it, it's what I was talking about when we say wide plant. It's putting yourself into a new context, new culture, entering into it fully. So you're not just not just going down there and doing and doing, you know, service projects for people. You're actually entering into their culture. You're becoming a part of it. You're, you're living life in a way that shows people how does this how does Jesus make a difference in your culture? And as you begin to make disciples, then the church begins to to grow around this new you, you develop the expression of the church from from what's within the, within the culture. Okay. So you actually are. It's kind of an inside out approach. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really kingdom kingdom focused. Um, the, the fourth uh, kind of category I'd say is is organic churches, which we put I put the cell church, the home church, um, these, all these kind of things. That's another another category which is very strong on discipleship, um, but it. it it, it struggles to get to the large group expression and to, to attract people who, who want to worship in, in, a, in a big – and, again, you get that, that growth barrier. Hmm. It's very difficult to get past a, a certain point with, with that model. Uh, but it is, it is very good at, at making disciples. Now, I like that about it. And then there's multi-site, which is, which is another uh, popular movement where basically one church is just expressing itself in, in, in different places. <laughs> um, 
where you, you you have something that's working well, but we need another location. So we add another location. It may it may have its own feel, but it's still kind of one part of one church, and it has that 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 sense of being one. Um, my favorite um, between these is kind of a hybrid between the launch at large and the missional incarnational. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I'm trying to do things in in my context is to begin what I call missional communities, which are basically small churches that meet in homes of 20 to 60 people um, that are doing it missionally incarnationally. And as we have multiple expressions of these, two or three of them, we will then come together and use the launch large strategy. So already we'll have the DNA of of being about discipleship and about being incarnational, but we will will be able to to also hopefully overcome those, those growth barriers Mm-hmm. And get to a large expression of the church, which we can get. We can be working both sides, so it's, it's a both and, uh, and not neither or. Now, thank you, Tim, for that. And you know, Kendall, in in all the models that you mentioned, Tim, all, all of them, even though you didn't really mention them, but uh, just for the sake of you know clarity, all of them really require to have a core group. Yes. Um. Sometimes the missional incarnational is done without that. Um, you have people who will just the two people go into uh, a neighborhood and they just start living and and you develop it from you develop your core team from the harvest basically. Okay. Um, uh, but other other than that, and sometimes the the organic church might do that as well. Some there are some models of, of what I call the organic that might do that as well. So so you would have a core team. It's it's just that sometimes the core team won't develop in. Until later, yeah. Until later. Okay, okay. You know, Anthony, I think you wanted to come in here. And then, Harold, are you? Are we good? Is uh, sound working with you? Is it I really working? think it should be working. There we go. We can hear you, man. Is it working? It's working now. So uh, so uh, we're going to get Anthony's take on the uh, different aspects of, you know, model, and then we're going to get you, Harold. Go for it, Anthony. It's hard. Yeah, I think Tim did a great job laying out different aspects yeah. of it. And one of the features, I think, of our church, the Adventist church, is really um, an overemphasis or even an idolatry of methods. And so we are constantly thinking, you know, how can we find the best method, the best program that can be replicated all over the place? And the reality is there is no such thing as a model. There's just the example of a passionate leader in a particular context, in a particular time. And someone said recently that the worst problem we have in ministry is we think we're called to love someone else's people in a different city. And so, you know, there are certainly examples to be inspired by, and there's different lanes to do church planting in. And I think Tim uh, gave a great summary of these five main lanes. And then we just have to think, what is our particular city like? What are we like, our personality? And also, what is going to get the best traction in our faith community? And so, you know, we have uniquenesses in our view of staffing and resources that can create multiplication, but may not lend themselves to the launch large strategy, particular if you're going to launch on a Saturday morning in a community that's totally unfamiliar with that, um, in a, you know, a post-Christian or a de-church type context. Um, so I've been involved in, in some of these in different ways. Um, in the trenches, and they all have their merit, as Tim said, but we need to be careful in guarding against thinking, what is the perfect model? Because when you look in the New Testament, the main truth is that churches plant churches. That's what I heard Kendall say. And you have Jerusalem and Antioch as the main sponsor churches, 
And they were able to support new churches that functioned in different ways than the mother church did, so to speak. So we need churches that can sponsor new churches but not dictate the model or the approach or the style that they're going to do it in. That takes a lot of maturity and a real um, sense of stewardship, I think. It's a real challenge. So, so what I hear you say, Anthony, is that whatever model we choose, that, that, that should not be, in essence, the main thing. The main thing should always go back to our passion to follow Jesus and making disciples. And then from that, as we begin to branch to, you know, branch out to then mm-hmm. obviously as we organize, you know, some may use that word or another word, um, yeah. then then look what best fits for that community um, and, and go from there. And along those same lines to if you have a church that is sponsoring you uh, to make sure that healthy conversations are taking place where the church is not necessarily dictating how it should be done, uh, but that those conversations that are taking place can enable uh, those church planters that are coming out or that group or however it's being done coming out of that mother church, as you know, some may say that they will have faith in them uh, with the proper conversations that they will plant according to how the spirit is actually guiding. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, very simply build your church around the gospel, not around a model. There you go. Because if you're trying to prove a model, I, I, I know someone that was uh, planting a house church. And it's great. I've done house church myself. But when the situation called for a change in approach, they would not allow it because they were trying to demonstrate the validity of a model rather than show the power of the gospel and be willing to change your approach depending upon changing times and structures. Okay. Okay. Well said. Harold, you wanted to jump in here? Yes, sir. I'm here. Okay. For for our you know listening audience, tell us um, where you are you know ministering at, what city, uh, name of your church, and then jump right into our uh, discussion here. Okay, I'm in Coral Springs, South South Florida. Uh, name of church is Life Fellowship. Yeah, great. Been here for two years, enjoying the sun and the beach. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so there's a lot of sun and beach here in Florida, especially South Florida and Southwest Florida, right? Um, yes. So talk to us. Talk to us in this conversation here that we're talking about, you know, church planting models, which one is you know best for you or the one that you've you know tried. So what, what are your thoughts on that and what the rest of the guys here have been also mentioning? Yeah, I think uh, um, I totally agree with uh, what has been said already. Uh, the fact is that the mission is huge, uh, especially in Florida, over about, what, close to 20 million people, uh, most of them on church. And I think uh, we can literally uh, plant churches next to each other with using different methods and whatever else, and we will still reach people. That's how big the mission field is right now. So I, I think uh, we we are at a point that we got to stop fighting about models and what, you know, and literally plant around the gospel like uh, right. Anthony was uh, sharing. Uh, because the fact is that the, uh, there's no competition. At this point, we have a huge mission field. And uh, I think for me, the driving force is the mission. Uh, and and that's what we be, we have been called to uh, reach uh, out to these people. So I think the more church plans we uh, are able to uh, get everywhere, the better it is. 
You know, Harold, you mentioned something there that I think we should take a moment um, and ponder. Sometimes in, in our communities, in our faith community, and even outside of our faith community, um, we can say that you use a very interesting word there. No competition or phrase, I should say. No competition. And do, do you guys think that sometimes that can be an issue where maybe not just within our own community, but um, our but other faith you know, communities, when we branch out and we start planning a church and it's actually growing and doing things that um, have not been done before to reach people that are not being reached, uh, can that come into play? And, and how can we, if so, how can we uh, turn that around to, to let people know that, as you said, well, it, we shouldn't have competition because there shouldn't be competition about winning people for Jesus, but it should always be about mission. What, what are your thoughts on that? Can I jump in here, Javier? Yes. This is Kendall. I, I just want to say that that many times uh, in church planting, we have struggled from myopic vision because if the pastors, if the saints, if the disciples of Jesus Christ would only realize that the more we move into the mission, the more resources, the more talent, the greater the growth for everyone would be. I, I don't think that it's a, a secret that uh, many times leaders as well as uh, in the churches as well as pastoral leaders sometimes see church planting as a threat and say, man, you know, I don't want to, I don't want my people to leave and and maybe that new church over there is going to draw my people away and and this is what I have found in the majority of cases, whenever we have planted um, the resources as well as the people, God refills the church. And so right now there's people that you are counting on in leadership that you may be afraid that if you support church planting, man, I'm going to lose that tremendous leader because they're going to be inspired to go and do this new initiative and mission there's somebody or several people that God wants to bring to the existing church with financial resources, with gifts and talents that is not coming because we're not moving into the mission. Hmm. And so I think that it's very myopic and very, hmm. it's sad yeah. to see territorial disputes and no, you know, use your own people. And what, what would happen? What if, what would happen to, to our, our, our growth and, and, and efficiency of mission if we would step out in faith and say, what's mine is yours. We're going to, you know, pray, pray for, for workers for God's harvest. What would happen to our churches? We, we would have so much more. I love what you're saying. I, I think, can I jump in yeah, right, quick, right quick? I, I think we're really in love with the concept of mission. Uh, I mean, you can preach a good missional sermon and you will hear a lot of amens. Uh, people can shout and people can stand up. But when you implement mission, that's when, uh, you know, for some reason, I, I, you know, I don't understand how we get the concept. But when you implement it, when you actually do mission, uh, people get, uh, you know, very resistant because mission implies uh, literally uh, taking you out of your comfort zone. It, it implies uh, taking risks. 
it implies you know leaving the comfort of the building it implies you know you now have to get to work instead of being served it, it implies you know uh, sacrifice sacrifice it implies you know all of that stuff you know so uh, I, I recently told the church this you know uh, we're very in love with the idea of mission but once we get to work on it we get a lot of resistance and uh, I think that we, we need to recognize a mission uh, uh, will uh, by it will you know bring you out of your comfort zone and that's just the way it is. Thank you, Harold. I, I think that's so true. You know, a lot of us we um, we hear these these great sermons, right? Great sermons. Some some may even arguably this may not sound too you know kosher be just rallying pep talks that that will everybody's just invigorated yes and and, and people come forward and and we don't want to say that they're not uh, genuine but but then when they leave the doors of wherever they're worshiping it seems like the grand majority go back to their activities of daily living which I, understandably we all have to work we all have to do what we have to do but but within the scope of our activities of daily living mission should be the quintessential essence of who we are as followers of Jesus, that we take that mission and we don't compartmentalize it right within the confines of whatever our worship place may be, uh, but it goes with us wherever we go. Uh, so with that said, as we, as we go, um, some people are really where the rubber meets the road, right? Some may even argue that, that a lot of church planters are that way. Okay. Uh, uh, and you guys are church planters, so you could, you know, let me know. Okay, so then how do I get started? So how do we start? Like, what is it that we have to do? You know, how do I do it? Uh, so let, let's let's ask that, you know, question with the real practicalness uh, within it is, is how does someone get started? Uh, not not just within our community of faith, right? Uh, but But even for those who may be listening or who will listen, I should say, that are outside of our community, uh, but want to start a church. So how would you guys recommend for somebody to, to actually get started to plant a church? And, and let's begin with our community of faith. As a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, um, how would you recommend for those wanting to church plant to start church planting? Um, this is Anthony, and uh, I would just say very simply to get the conversation rolling, you have to have a high level of conviction that God's calling you to do it. And, and commitment, as Harold said. So, you know, church planting can't just be something exciting or something trendy you think is going to fill some space in you. It's not something you want to do before you die. It's something that you're dying to do right now. That's the key. And I don't care if you're paid, if you're a volunteer, I don't. whatever you are, you have to have that sense of high commitment. And then within that, very simply, one of the greatest challenges to getting started, and Tim touched on this, is that we think of church as the building, as the program. And so one of the defining features of American Christianity is church is a building. So three key things you can do before you plant. Okay. One is to do to go through visioning and administration. So having a process, I do like 10 to 12 months where you go through what the vision is, plan for discipleship is, what's your process for membership onboarding, how do you score success, what is your intentional plan for discipleship, a second area is community involvement. So you need to just start serving your neighbors. Start serving people in both organized and organic ways 
formal and informal within the area that you want to plant and bring people along with you. That's the best way to train people is not to give them a book in a seminar in a webinar. Hmm. Invite them with you to go spend time with your non-Christian neighbors and see how they react and see how that's part of their experience. And then a third thing is to disciple your core team with the same resources you're going to then offer to new people. So all of us on this podcast will do that differently, but the key is you have to have some plan for that, and your initial leaders have gone through it. So those are things that, for me, have generated momentum and can be helpful. I don't know about the others. Okay. So, so Anthony, you were saying just to kind of recap those three, I, I, I really like that. The first thing that you did was you began visioning administration uh, with the people that you wanted to start with. Uh, secondly, uh, you, you got them out there into the community that we – whoever the we is, wanted to plant a church, whether that's formal or informal, get them out there. Like you said, don't just talk about it, but actually do it. And thirdly, I really like this, is disciple your core team first with the same discipleship, we can use the word material or process, uh, that will be implied to those that we are seeking in our community. Is that is that all three that I get them? Absolutely. And, you know, we can have the conversation on discipleship. It's much more than just resources or going through a book. Um, But you still need to have some um, organized plan. That's really key because you'll get people that are high on passion. They're high on excitement, but very low on organization. And that's a big key to creating structures and systems, you know, as you start to get some momentum. Okay. What do do the rest of you guys think about that? Well, it's Timothy here. Uh, I, uh, I yeah, I totally agree with everything that that, that Anthony said. Um, I would I would just probably add to that that you need to like you need to know your the culture that you that you're going to, and so you need to spend some time studying that, um, entering into it, and but being intentional about looking and watching what are their needs, what are their desires, so that you know how to speak to frame the gospel for them. And so that when you are bringing those other people along with you, um, that they're able to see how you how you do that. So they're able to learn how to frame the gospel for for the community you're called to. Also, as you're gathering your team, look for people who are already um, following the Great Commission, who are already going, who already have that heart to 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 go to the lost. Um, and that's what's driving them. The temptation, I think, is when you're starting is, is just to find warm bodies um, and to try and get and recruit people, anybody you can, um, to come and be part of what you're doing. But, but if, you, if you have that mindset, you're going to end up gathering some people who just are dissatisfied yeah. with, 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 with the current churches and who want something for them. Um, and and it's good, you're going to have to totally – be, be fighting against against that mindset the whole time, trying to get them to understand that it's not about that, that it's, it's about the people that they're, that they're called to. And so you really want to find, the, for your core team, you want to find the people who already have, have, have are following the command of God to go and already have that mindset that, you know, I, w- I want to make disciples for Jesus. I want to reach the lost. I, I like that, Tim. I like, I like what you're saying as well, and I like that last point that you mentioned um, in particular, that because sometimes uh, sometimes we or church planters, however we want to state that, we, it, we go out like if we're the only ones. But the reality is, is that is that the Holy Spirit is already touching people around us, most likely, and and we can 
really, as we really pray is what I'm hearing you say, and we look around, um, there are other people that are as passionate as us. There may not be a lot, uh, some may argue, but, but there are some, and we need to partner with those as best we can, right, to bring them along um, as we go forward. Is that is that what I'm hearing you say? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. We just Great. Find where God's at work and join him. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Harold, you wanted to say something. Yeah. Um, kind of the way it started for us, uh, the first um, church plant that we did in Oregon, was uh, it started organically. So it was an organic group, you know, uh, basically a group of friends. And uh, I believe uh, God placed in our hearts uh, uh, the desire and the passion to plant the church. Um, and uh, from there, it, it, it uh, evolved into an organized group. You know, so it started organic, then it evolved to uh, be organized, and that's where the plans. Uh, uh, because I believe that if you know, organization is very important, like uh, Anthony was uh, uh, talking about. Uh, so you know, the plans and everything else, and then uh, the one uh, I, I saw this as a kind of a key role that I play in all of this was to keep the group on mission, uh, because again, it is. Uh, that temptation is that, you know, we build a beautiful community, everybody gets along, it's a, it's a smaller group, it's a family field, uh, and at least for us it was a challenge, and that goes into the, kind of the last question uh, that we're supposed to discuss, uh, but it is a challenge to break out of um, the community, family mentality, because it, it, it feels great when you're with 40 people and you know, everybody knows each other, you're living life together, and everybody gets along, and then new people come in, it, it takes effort, uh, breaks uh, what's already uh, happening, and so on. So um, uh, that's kind of uh, I started for us, so it started organically, then organized on my job, but I saw it as keeping the whole group on mission. So thanks, Harold. So I, I, I like what you said there, that it's one of the essences of, of or one of the biggest challenges, I guess, what I'm hearing you say is, is to continue to keep uh, that group on you know, mission. Because sometimes we, we talk about established uh, churches not being on mission, but then church plans begin. And I have attended some church plans and, you know, for many years in different places. And I hear all these great things, and then I get there, I start talking and conversing, and I, I have to say, be honest, that I, it doesn't seem like they're really on mission. It seems like they're doing the same things that other established churches are doing, just with less people. And, and that may be a bit harsh for some to hear, but that can happen, which is what I'm hearing you say. Is that is that is that you know correct, Harold? That, that, that is correct. I think that uh, the tendency, and that's why it's so important, uh, Anthony kind of uh, already addressed this, uh, but it's so important to establish the missional DNA from the get-go because our tendency is, is for, you know, I don't know why, but uh, is towards comfort uh, uh, rather, and uh, yeah, we can talk a lot about mission, but our tendency in practicality is towards comfort, not mission, because mission implies what we already talked about, sacrifice and going, you know, breaking the mold and taking risks, all of that. And that's not necessarily fun all the time. You know. okay. Go ahead, Anthony. So our, our yeah. task is when you start with that, uh, uh, you know, launch group, uh, core group, however you call it, uh, is to establish that missional DNA from the get-go. 
Javier, this is Anthony. We're talking about the challenge of motivating church plants to stay on mission rather than just become like the established churches on a smaller basis. And I think there's two things that are key to that. The first is you have to articulate what it means. Like those who are listening to this podcast, if you're going to plant, you need to articulate what it means to be a healthy member of that community of faith that you're planting. Okay. And in Adventism, we, we have our theology, and that tends to be the only uh, thing that becomes a point of membership. But to be a mission-shaped church, you've got to have expectations in terms of their engagement with ministry as well. So create some type of um, engagement with that. We call it a participant's covenant. Whatever you call it, have something. And then the second thing that can help is the importance of us as leaders setting the example of what it means not just to um, have a holy huddle or to have fellowship inflammation, but really be on mission. And so if you look in the New Testament, Jesus told them to go, and he told in Acts chapter 1, 8, he said, stay here and then go. But it wasn't until Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that they actually were sent out because of persecution, and it was nine years later between Acts chapter 1 and chapter 8, and the apostles never went. And that's why you look at the church in Antioch, that's the example for us as Adventist uh, uh, members and pastors to really send out our best leaders. And I just long for the day in our culture when uh, young pastors go through their training and they don't dream of preaching awesome sermons or being in the largest church building. They dream of going into a new area where we have no work, no disciples, and plant a church because that's the type of legacy that was left. That's the reason we're here today, and that's going to be the reason that our church is going to thrive and grow as we move to the second coming. Well, it, I think a lot of people are going to are going to hear what you just said, Anthony, and they're going to say fellowship inflammation. Is that is that what you said? And 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 somebody is going to make a sermon of that. I guarantee you. That's what I describe an inflammation of fellowship. There's in, probably inflammation of fellowship. Um, but you know what you said is absolutely true. I think in in, in my perspective, in that um, articulating from the get-go what it means to be healthy and then modeling as best we can through God's spirit what it means to be a healthy follower of Jesus is I believe quintessential in in the in, in the world that we're living in today um, and in our culture Javier because in the Adventist church yes. the further the further you are removed from the local church the more respect and clout that you have and so we need to be very careful on all of us, regardless of what level we serve, because God needs people to serve at every level, but that we have some example of a missional lifestyle in people that we engage on a regular basis. Otherwise, we're not, setting, we're not really setting the example of what it looks like to be a leader. We may be setting an example of an organizer or a teacher or uh, other things, but to really set that example for ourselves, and we have to model that as leaders in any level. Okay. Go ahead, Harold. Yeah, all right. So uh, one of the things that I wish I wished I had when I first planted um, was uh, uh, it's a tool called the Vision Frame. Um, uh, uh, this is just a practical uh, tool for, for anybody out there. Uh, I, I believe it's very helpful. Uh, the Vision Frame, it's based on the book uh, called Church Unique by Will uh, Mancini. And I think he provides a good, uh, uh, you know, he talks about mission and values and how you're going to get it done. And at the end, you know, uh, it talks about, a, 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 you know, vision. 
uh, for me now uh, I use it actually um, it has been very helpful to uh, because it talks about hey what is the final for us uh, the product uh, that we want to see at the end is a disciple how does that disciple look like uh, and that helps with what we were just talking about the, the you know the planning uh, planting that DNA and, and talking about uh, modeling and how can we model as, as leaders and all of that so this is a very useful uh, practical tool um, it's, again it, the book is called Church Unique I strongly recommend it okay thank you for that thank you for thank you for that you know resource vision frame church unique or I should say the book Church Unique talks about framing the vision correct that is correct okay so We've been talking, like you mentioned, Anthony, about the challenges of church planting. And um, and I think it's worth mentioning uh, that because uh, some have said that, um, and I've heard some of you guys say it, church planting is the hardest thing that any follower of Jesus will do in that realm, right? I mean, obviously, there are harder things in life that, that happen. But when it comes to ministry, some may, um, some may argue, church planning is one of the hardest things anybody will ever do. And it comes with a host of challenges. Um, one of the challenges I've heard, um, not necessarily from you guys, but from others or from hearing one other person said it, I should say, is that oftentimes the people that we start with church planting aren't necessarily the people that we will continue to church plant with. And, and, and that is to some some of the biggest challenges, seeing people that we love, we care for, um, not continue in that process with us for whatever reason. Uh, so in the closing moments that we have here, um, tell me some other challenges that you guys have had, but also um, finish with some of the greatest joys you guys have had as church planters. This is Timothy here. Um yeah, there's there's just so many different challenges that you you face with, with with church funding. Of course, lack of resources and funding and people um, are some of them. Um, isolation, um, loneliness can be can be depending mm -hmm. on your on your context. Especially even just having other people to understand what you're doing. Um, if you're in a place where there's there's not a lot of other church planters around, um, and then. For for me personally, though, the, the I think the the most difficult challenge is actually just in, in my own heart to continue to have the focus that this is about God's kingdom and not about building, uh, you know, my church. Because um, we talk about that from the mother church has to have that perspective, right? We need we need to get get away from you know oh I got to pr protect this and grow this, but we it's so easy to get that I, I want to I want to build build my church. I want to see this. And instead of just being about, no, I'm, gonna, I'm building God's kingdom. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him to, to, to bring, to bring, to bring that result and to, to build, build the church as He sees fit. He sees fit, and not, not to just uh, try and, and, and enforce that and, and to, to try and make myself look good and to, to do what I can to grow my church. But I really am going to be about what Jesus wants me to be about. To, to just continue my heart to say, we're making disciples, and we're going to. Let them go where they're going to go, um, and and not worry about that. We're just going to continue to be about God's mission. Okay. So you said one of the most difficult challenges for you, Tim, is is the challenge of building God's church versus building God's kingdom. Um, in in that aspect, what what are the one of the what is the greatest joy for you? Uh, the greatest joy, I would say, is actually seeing 
people who you know were prostitutes, who were drug addicts, who were just really far from God, seeing their lives be transformed by the gospel, and seeing the, the just just what what Christ does in their life. Uh, and I, I think that that's just the thing that that keeps you going. You know, when when you see those 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 mm. kind of stories, those things happening. Amen. Amen. Anthony Harold, what, um, what are your as we close? What are you guys's? Um, I know you've kind of stated some of them already, but give us your top challenge and your top joy, which uh, may be similar to you know Timothy's when it comes to the joy. But uh, w- what is it for you guys, Harold? Go ahead. Okay, so uh, for me, I think it was uh, uh, staying close uh, to God. Uh, that was the biggest challenge because uh, church planting is very busy. Um, it, uh, you know, at some point I, I, I wrestle with anxiety, you know. Uh, what if this doesn't uh, go anywhere, uh, you know? Mm. Uh, once you get a little group, a little group. The, the next question is, what if we don't have enough money to pay for the rent or, uh, you know? What if the leaders uh, are with me right now? They quit, you know, since you don't have that many leaders. Yeah, how, you know, so there's always, a, there's always a challenge coming, you know, at the end of every corner. So for me, I think one of the key challenges was to uh, always keep close to God because at the end of the day, like Tim said, uh, this is not ours. This is God's work, you mm. know. Uh, so we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit uh, because, you know, obviously one of the biggest challenge, challenges is you, you, you only have but a few people and now you're supposed to get new people. And those new people are, you know, many are completely uh, far away from God and you need the Holy Spirit. It's not our wisdom that will change hearts, you know. Yeah. Um, so, for, so, so for me, that was, uh, I think for me, was the, the most uh, important challenge, I guess. Uh, important because I, I had to keep it in front and center of everything that I did. Uh, because you can really get caught up in the models and in, in, in all of that and thinking you can do it on your own without Jesus. Uh, having the right skills and, and so on. No, Harold, I, I, I think you, you've, hit a, you've hit it on the nail um, at least for me and, and probably for many others, um, in the fact that uh, sometimes we can get caught up in focusing on all the challenges uh, that we don't really spend the quality and quantity of time with the one and only who this is about, and that's Jesus. Um, and and, and I, I appreciate your vulnerability and being able to say that, you know, sometimes we don't really come out and say, hey, in the midst of, of what I've been doing, I, I've been doing, but I haven't been being, as some may say, right? Being and spending that time with God, uh, because our challenges or the challenges for church planters or anybody in ministry um, or outside of ministry, whatever it is in life, are not just our challenges. If we believe in a God who is with us, then those challenges are not just our challenges, whatever they may be, financial, uh, personal, spiritual, they're God's challenges, if, if I can say it that way. And, and God is truly with us. But I can uh, uh, I can totally understand what you're coming from, that sometimes in the midst of our challenges um, is we need to stop and just remember that this is God. So so thank you for that. Uh, uh, what What is your greatest joy? 
good. And, and thank you. I'm going to add one more, though, to what sure, I, I just said. I know we're almost at the end. But uh, the other uh, challenge for me was family. In my case, I have a family, a wife and kids. And again, church planting is, uh, is a busy work. Like I remember early on, at some point, I had up to 20 Bible studies a week, uh, which is a lot, you know. Uh, uh, and on top of that, uh, you know, as a church planter, you got to set up. I used to haul a trailer with all of the stuff for the church, you know, so it's, it's busy, you know. So family for me was always, and having a day off was really important because when you spend time with God, uh, you're, you trust Him. You, 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 as you grow in Him, you trust Him, and you, 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 you know, we have to understand that God will provide uh, for all the needs of the church, you know. So anyways, the, my greatest joy, I, I, I don't think I could uh, create a new one. Tim uh, already laid it out. For me, it's seeing somebody uh, giving their, their, their lives over to Jesus Christ. And for me, every time I, 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 you know, somebody would say, hey, Pastor, I, I want to get baptized, and I, I'm ready to give my life over to Jesus, even till this day, it makes it all worth it. Amen. Amen. Anthony. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, the challenge of uh, ba family balance, facilities, constant uh, physical manual labor of set up and take down. You know, people don't join a church because they want to set up and take down chairs and signs. They want to disciple people, but that's the real work. Um, one of the challenges that I didn't understand before I started planting uh, was just the challenge of leading multiple groups of people. You have that in an existing church, but somehow we have an idealistic view of church planting that we're, we're just going to gather up all the unchurched people that are totally secular, come from a non-church background, and work with them. Well, they come with their own set of baggage and their own uniqueness, but any church plant has three groups of people in it. You have um, you know, people from the community that don't know Jesus. We have those people coming. We work with them. Um, that's certainly the joy. A second group would be... Um, Adventists that have maybe moved to the area, they come to check it out, and they have no concept of what you're trying to do. A third group would be those who have left the Adventist church, millennials, people who have been hurt, and they come back with their own experience and conversation that they bring into small groups and worship gatherings. So yeah. how to have a clear sense of vision and membership and engagement in a way that can bring all three of those groups along. Hmm. Um, on a personal level, you know, I'm someone that likes to start new things, design systems and all of that. And so God, you know, has really worked with me because our greatest strength is also our challenge. And so I'm someone, all right, let me put it this way. When, when you encounter challenge in ministry, it says a lot about your spiritual gift when you ask the question, what do you go to first to solve the problem? So the teacher goes to books or learning. The shepherd goes to uh, relationships so for me, it's easy to go to planning, and that's one of the things that God revealed in my heart is that I need to stop planning things to death and start praying them to life. Hmm. So a sense of a vibrant spirituality, trusting God by not working and resting, that's hmm. the evidence that we believe he's the planner and he's in charge. Yes. And um, without a doubt, greatest joy seeing people give their hearts to the Lord. And one of the things God con convicted me with at the start of last year that I've kept with me has has been um, the idea that I can become everything by being willing to become nothing. 
that's really the gospel order, and that's what we see in Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. Yes. So having the confidence to know I can minister in obscurity, I can minister in a new place that my faith culture might not uh, consider important, but it's very important in God's eyes, and that's the legacy that I want to leave behind is new worshiping communities that disciple and love and serve. So those those are some of the things that God's been working me working on me with. Thank you so much, guys. I, I really appreciate the conversation that uh, you guys have taken the time to have. And um, honestly, I believe that those who will listen to this, uh, who are thinking of church planting, I think it will be uh, very useful to them, or at least to begin a conversation. We're not saying that everything is going to be answered in one podcast by no means, but there's uh, several resources and several aspects of what has been said here that I believe, if not everything, uh, that will be really useful. Um, and the reason we asked that, or at least I asked that last question, because I, I knew you guys, and as all of us that are in ministry, we're going to answer the biggest joy to be, or at least I was hoping, uh, the biggest joy to be uh, seeing people come to Jesus. And at least personally, I believe as we close that seeing that end is is where we should start at least mentally. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those that I kind of have to visualize it, right? When I'm uh, uh, doing whatever I'm doing in life, I sometimes have to see the end result as best that I can uh, so that I, I start from there and then go backwards. I know it, it may seem weird for some you know, people, but in this case, the end result is not me, is not you guys, as we have been saying, is seeing people, whoever those may be, uh, giving their lives to Jesus. And the more that I can focus on that and work from there backwards, at least in my way of thinking, it makes everything worth it. Because I remember where I was and what I kind of person I was and how Jesus has changed my life. And that, too, is part of uh, what helps me to and propels me forward. And so that's what I think I hear you guys saying as well, that seeing that joy of people's lives being changed by the gospel by the power of Jesus Christ is what makes all the challenges and everything else in between worth it. Because at the end of the day, it's building as we have been talking about God's kingdom. Thank you guys so much for this time. Um, let us know before we go where people can reach you um, as in Facebook, uh, Twitter, social, you know, social media, uh, your you know website. If they want to talk to you guys a little bit more, uh, give us where they can uh, get a hold of you guys. Let's start with you, Tim. All right. Um, uh, my email is just timothy.gemley at floridaconference.com. Uh, it's probably the uh, the easiest way to uh, to contact me. And also on Facebook, it's Timothy Gemley, which okay. I'm the only Gemley, so you can find me easy. All right. And Gem and uh, Timothy, uh, just in case, so for those that are you know listening, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y dot Gemley, J-E-M-L-Y at floridaconference.com. Anthony? Uh, for me, simplest way would just be Twitter. Um, my handle is my last name, Wagner Smith, and it's spelled W-A-G-E-N-E-R-S-M-I-T-H. Thank you. Harold? Uh, I guess email ph1006 at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you guys again. God bless you all as you continue um, in your track of uh, continuing to do God's you know, work. Uh, for those that are, are listening, uh, you can also get a hold of our friend Kendall 
and uh, he had to step out. But Kendall is K-E-N-D-A-L-L dot Turcios, T-U-R-C-I-O-S at FloridaConference.com. Thank you, guys, and God bless you all. So I hope and pray that what you just heard has been a blessing to you, that it will be a catalyst, that you will be able to continue the conversation on church planting. Also, I want to let you know about the upcoming boot camp at the end of the month here in Florida. So make sure to go to nadchurchplant.org where you can find out more about it and also register. And also there at that site, nadchurchplant.org, you can find out more about this initiative, Plant 1000. Uh, So thanks again for listening. Please spread the word and let us know uh, what you think. Uh, Email me at javier.diaz at floridaconference.com. That's J-A-V-I-E-R dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z at floridaconference.com. Or you can hit me up on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is javid21, J-A-V-I-D-21. So God bless and stay tuned for next month in May for our next podcast. Blessings. Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.